You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Hey, this is Pastor Andrew Romine, and today we are featuring a guest message from my friend Akil Thompson, who pastors the Pentecostals of Mississauga in Ontario, Canada. This sermon was preached here at CTK at the annual Illinois Section 4 Youth Week. Thank you for listening to the CTK Podcast. Here is Pastor Akil Thompson. Let's look at the Word of the Lord, Genesis 12. I'm going to dance around this passage of Scripture, and um, you all just follow my lead. I'm going to read, if I could, out of the New King James, if the team has that. Fantastic. Okay, terrific. Out of the New King James, let's look at this. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed, how? As the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And the scripture gives us a bit of a narrative here. So I'm going to skip to verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. First of all, I just want to pause for a moment and say I'm thankful that the Lord initiates dialogue with us. He appeared to Abram. He said, I'm going to give you this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Who appeared to him and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land. Everybody say uh oh. Man that famine. Things getting tight. Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. Go to chapter 13 really quickly. First verse. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot went with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And Abram called on the name of the Lord. Tonight, I just feel like as we are setting the pace for the next couple of days, I feel led to preach to you somewhere, someone, or something has to die at an altar. Somewhere, someone, or something has to die at an altar. One more time, would you lift your hands into heaven and help us pray? Father, we bless you. We're thankful for your presence in this place tonight. I pray that you'll anoint me, O oh Lord God, with an anointing that makes ministry and preaching effective, God. Be a blessing, O oh Lord God. Help me to be a blessing to your people. Edify us and challenge us and strengthen us. Help us to never leave the same way that we came. And we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, would you clap your hands unto the Lord? Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen, amen. You may be seated. In the presence of the Lord. And we need to, oh, there is a chair there. Praise God. Amen. Good, good. Uh, so you can have a seat, but man, if you see me go like this, praise God. 
quick with it. Amen. 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 You know, I really enjoy uh, character studies. Oh, man, I got, y'all got me covered. I wasn't ready for that. Praise God. Y'all got me covered. Amen. Amen. I really enjoy character studies. And as a matter of fact, um, I, I received the spirit in my late teens. And so it was one of those things that uh, for me, and just I'm not going to unpack my entire story, but when I heard people talk about being born again, and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't necessarily have any type of biblical point of reference, so I wasn't quite sure what to anticipate. I had tried absolutely everything you can think of, and then some. And uh, I was just like, I had a buddy of mine who invited me to church, and I thought, well, I've tried everything else, and it has literally done nothing for me. I might as well give Jesus a try. And so it was a group of about 30 folks, and I was like, oh, my gosh, these people, can I just be transparent with you? I was like, oh, my God, these white people are crazy. <laughs> I was like, they have lost their mind. I was like, the moment this dude is up there yelling, you know, his, I was like, the moment he gets done, I am out. And, I, you know, instead of walking out, you know what I did? I walked to the front. God was drawing me. God was drawing me. And I, I, I knew nothing about the Holy Ghost. I knew nothing about Pentecostalism. If you would have talked about speaking in tongues, none of that we had. He prepared me for nothing. And so I just thought, man, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to go. And the only thing I said was, I'm sorry. It was just, and tears began to flow. And I just remember I was over here, like I was away from all the crazy people. Praise God. I just thought, you know, y'all be crazy over there. And I'm going to go over here to my little area. And I remember saying, I was sorry. And the next thing I know, I'm crying. And I felt this love and this peace and this joy I'd never felt before. And I was like, wow, this is wild. And I remember thinking to myself, I've never felt anything like this before in my life. And it was like the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice. He said, Akil, all you have to do is let me in. And I was like, how can I say no? If this is you, Lord, I want this. And the next thing I know, because I was trying to be cool and hard, and I, I won't talk about all that, but then I was just sobbing like a baby. And the next thing, I feel that love and that joy and that peace filling me up on the inside, and I was speaking in other tongues, and I was like, this is the most glorious feeling I've ever felt before in my life. And the next thing, I, it was like 45 minutes or an hour had gone by, and, and you know, people, when you have a move of God or somebody gets the Holy Ghost, the church is excited. We ought to be excited when people get the Holy Ghost. This is why we're here. To see people be born again. But I can remember they were all excited. They were like, man. Where's... And I was like, don't touch me. I, I, I was looking out for them because I felt so much power. I honestly thought if they touched me, I might inadvertently knock them back like 25 feet. Like just Bruce Lee, like boom, you know. Uh, I was like, don't touch me. But the Bible is clear. When you receive the spirit, you shall receive. Somebody needs to say it like they got power. You shall receive, you shall receive power to overcome temptation, power to walk right and power to talk right, power to make a difference in your world, power to hold your head up and say, I will live for God and I will see him do great things in my life. And I was crazy. I was like, wow, Jesus is real. So I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do everything that I can. And then you know what? I began to read the Bible, and if I could just be transparent, it was hard. I was like, man, I would, I would fall asleep and feel so guilty. 
One time, I mean, you know what? Sometimes it was like I was having a tough time to fall asleep, and the uh, prescription was let me just read the Bible. <laughs> That'll knock me out in no time. I remember one time, I, I was serious. I, I, I was asleep. I fell asleep in the Bible. The, it was that good sleep, too. I was just on the floor, and it, it, the pages were stuck to my face. I'm not making this up. I was trying so hard to read the Word. And then I remember one day, I just prayed. I said, God, help me. I want your word to become alive to me. And God will answer your prayers. And I, I remember after praying that, I was, I was studying, uh, just kind of reading in Genesis. I was around Joseph. And I remember, like, looking over my shoulder. Like, I felt like people were chasing me down. I was like, oh, my. And I was like, this is hot. I felt like I was in the desert. My throat was getting parched. And I was like, oh, my word. But this is, can I just tell you, the word of God is alive. It is the only information that will bring about a transformation in our lives. And from that moment forward, it ignited a desire to uh, passionately study characters in the Bible. Now, we like to give people a hard time in the Bible, but the reality of it is we have a different vantage point. Because we're looking at it from the beginning and the end and all the way in between, and we see it. But we say stuff like, well, David, how can you be so dumb? Abraham, what were you doing? And the reality of it is when we're living through stuff, too, if we're going to be real, we do a lot of dumb stuff, too. But we won't go there, praise God. Not right now, anyway. Just give me a moment. I'll let y'all warm up because it's coming. Praise God. So, you know what? We, we, I was like, I, w- I want to check these characters out. I want to I read about these guys. And David, for example, is somebody that resonates with us because David experienced this meteoric rise out of nowhere. Nobody gave David a second thought. Not his family, not his dad, not even his boys. I mean, like, you remember when the prophet showed up uh, and they were like, did you come peaceably? Are you He's like, I'm going to come to worship. And they're like, oh, okay, good, you know, because there was a lot of civil unrest. And then they bring all the guys into the house, and they leave David out. Not even like his best friend was like, well, hey, wait a second. You know, Jesse, you do have another boy. His name is David. He's out there in the field. You know, nobody thought about David. And we know what it's like to be like uh, or to know what it feels like to be counted out. That, that resonates with us. We know what it's like to be overlooked. We all want to be on the team, if you will. And we know what it's like to, oh, I'm not the first pick. I'm not the second pick. I'm the dude out in the field. Nobody thought about me. But can I tell you, you might not have a last name, and you may not have grew up in this thing, and that makes no difference. God chose you. Man might not pick you out, but don't worry about if man picks you out. If God said, I've called you, if God said, I've chosen you, then that's all that matters. Don't worry about your last name. Don't worry about who you know and who you're connected to. Just determine to say, God, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to run after you. I'm going to make myself available to you, and you do what you want to do in my life. So David is this guy, too, that, you know what? David was a praiser. I love people that love to worship the Lord. I like people. I would much rather have to try to sit somebody down than try to start a fire. And let me just talk to our men for a moment. I appreciate it because if you think for one moment that worshiping Jesus Christ is not masculine, you do not know your Bible. I'm glad I got a few hand claps here because you need to understand that wars were won because of men that knew how to worship the Lord. 
Debts were canceled because of men that knew how to worship the Lord. Battles were won because of men who knew how to lift their hands and open up their mouth and give God the glory. Do I have any men that will praise the Lord, that will clap their hands, that will shout unto God with a voice of triumph? I'm not talking about having the music back you up. I'm talking about giving God the glory. We should be quick to clap our hands. We should be quick to. I might have to stay here for a moment because we were created to praise him. I know, I know, we were called to do many things, but we were created to worship him. We better be quick to worship him. Why? Not because of who we are or what he's done, because of who he is. And as long as he is God and I am who I am, he is worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my worship. And when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, I can't sit down. I can't be quiet. I got to give God the glory. Hallelujah. I'm going to need a little bit more monitor if you would. Hallelujah. Praise God. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Do I have any worshipers in the house who love to praise him, who love to give him glory, who magnify him? Hallelujah. Come on, young people, praise the Lord. Come on, old people, praise the Lord. Come on, elders, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. Praise God. We ought to be quick to worship the Lord. Can I just tell you, too, worship, worship should cost you something. Matter of fact, worship will cost you something, Pastor Romine. Worship, the first reference, Abraham. It's obedience. He said, you know what? And the Lord said, he said, hey, hey, guys. The guys said, hey, where are you going? He said, well, the lad and I, we're going to worship. It's obedience and sacrifice. Worship will always cost you something. So David is this character that is a man after God's own heart. And anytime you're Somebody that's after God's own heart, I want to know what you're doing. David is this guy that sometimes, you know what, people, he would say stuff like, man, I feel like people have fangs and they're just chewing me up and spitting me out. I'm paraphrasing. But, you know, we feel that way sometimes. And, you know, David's like, well, God, if it's all right with you, just take him out. I know y'all looking at me like, I can't believe he said that. But you said the same thing. You're like, you know what, Lord? Okay, not all of them, but just maybe one. Just take one out, and then they'll know not to mess with me because you're my dad. If you just take one out, then I can be like, I told you don't mess with me. You know you thought that. You know you thought that. Praise God. And David had those, David had those thoughts. He had moments when, dude, like, he's conquered Goliath. He's way up on the mountaintop. And then he's like, whoa. I'd be so dumb. And we, that resonates with us. Abraham is another one. Moses, I could go down the list, these men. Moses was like somebody. Moses studied at Sun Temple, if you will, in the Oxford of the day. Politically, economically, I mean, you name it. When it comes to influence, Moses had all of that. He was being groomed 
to lead a powerful nation. Moses was throwing a party. Everybody wanted to be there. If Moses was having conversations, people wanted to eavesdrop. People wanted to be like, oh, I'm with Moses. That's how Moses was right there. But Moses got ahead of God. Moses knew he was destined to do something else. And we too know that sometimes, man, I feel called to do more. I feel like there's more ahead. But we get ahead of ourselves sometimes. We, get ahead, we try to get ahead of God. And this is what Moses did. And the reality of it is Stephen breaks Moses' life down into three 40-year periods. The first 40 years, Moses is somebody. The next 40 years, nobody is thinking about Moses. Nobody's even interested in Moses. Nobody's asking Moses, what do you need? How can I serve you? Nobody's trying to take a selfie with Moses. They could care less about Moses. The next 40 years of his life, Moses realizes God can use a nobody. I'm trying to tell you, you don't have to worry about rubbing shoulders with the right people. You don't have to worry about doing who do you know. You just need to make yourself available. We are too, if I could just say this for a moment, and I know this is Wednesday night and this is, but listen, we are too inebriated. We're drinking our own Kool-Aid. You are not that innovative. I am not that creative. We are not that intelligent. Listen, sometimes I'm all for it. I was telling Brother Howell earlier today, I'm all for education. I'm a big proponent of education. Go get your degree, your undergrad, your graduate degree. Go on and pursue doctoral studies. After you do it, though, and you achieve it, get over yourself. Because your degree is not going to save anybody. The only thing that's going to save somebody is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we better be quick to claim it was nothing but the blood. It had nothing to do with my connections, my networking, who I know, who I don't know. If it had not been for the blood of Jesus Christ that washed me and redeemed me. I know I look like it got it all together, honey, but the devil is alive. It ain't nothing but the blood of a spotless lamb that washed me clean. We better be quick to always declare, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would we be? God is doing this, and we have to declare these things. We have to understand, God, I'm nobody. Who am I that you're mindful of me, but you want to use me? Abram, somebody else. Abram was a friend of God. If you're considered to be a friend of God, I want to know what you did to be a friend of God. And so I, I want to encourage you, carve out time to study these characters. They'll be a blessing to you. They'll be a So check this out. Abram is a friend of God. Do you realize Abram was the first intercessor? If there was ever a day and age that we're living in where we need to pray, it's right now. I'm going to say that one more time. I think I got some prayer warriors over here maybe. So maybe I need to say it over here. If there was ever a time that we need to pray, it's right here and right now. I'm not talking about patty cake for Jesus. Now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I'm talking about knowing how to travail in his presence. Knowing how to say I'm willing to come undone. I'm willing to intercede. Prayer makes the difference. We better be quick to pray. We 
I know we're going to do the afterburners and I want us to do all of that. But what I want to know is will you show up to a prayer meeting and help us pray against the spiritual wickedness and help us tear down Satan's kingdom? Will you help us pursue Jesus Christ and know him more to be made in the image of his likeness? It happens when we pray. And I'll tell you, you might feel like the world is pushing on you and trying to back you into a corner. You'll get more of a backbone when you know how to pray. You know how to stand up and to square your shoulders, walk on your campus and say, I declare this campus for the Lord. Why? Because you know how to pray. Do I have any prayer warriors in the house? Do I have anybody that's willing to say, God, I'll pray. Teach me to pray. I'll make myself available. I'll pray. I want to see my world turned upside down. And you know how that starts? It starts with prayer. Hallelujah. Be seated for a moment. I want you to get this because we got to pray. Our world is jacked up from the floor up. We were there. I, I live not too terribly far from Parkland, Florida. I can't imagine kids having to go to school today and wondering if they're going to come home alive. If there was ever a day that we needed to pray, it's this day. I can't get my mind around some of the stuff we're dealing with. You may have heard about it. There was one young lady who, who Facebook Live, she published via Facebook her own suicide. And do you realize, I know Luca, that's what I was like, oh, just great. Do you realize that while she was doing this, people were egging her on to take her life. One of the people that were doing so was her mother. And after the girl was dead and gone, do you realize the investigators were talking with their mom, her mom, and said, what were you thinking? Tell us about this. And she's like, well, I had no idea she was, going to, she was going to do that. I was trying to give her tough love. Can I tell you, we, and he, let me just say this right here. I realize, see, because we haven't, I, 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 I'm an I'm a 80s kid. So when I, praise God, I got a few people that know the 80s are the greatest decade around. We won't talk, praise God. So, you know, when I got home, I didn't have to, I didn't have to deal with a lot of bullying all the time. But when I got home, home was, I was safe. Man, I make me a little cheese sandwich, have some grape Kool-Aid. I was good to go. You know, y'all know nothing about grape Kool-Aid, and you don't know anything about a cheese sandwich. Praise God. I ain't said grilled cheese. I said a cheese sandwich. But y'all, y'all, yeah. But we're going to talk about that later. Praise God. But today, this generation, they don't get a break. If they're being bullied, it doesn't stop because of this phenomenon called social media. But can I just tell you? The bullying better stop when you become a part of the church. We don't have any room to exclude anybody. We include everybody. I don't care if you're fat, skinny, tall, short. It makes no difference. We won't mock you. We won't exclude you. We will welcome you and say you belong. I love you. I'll care for you. I'll serve you. You are here with us, your family. 
Let me just help you right now because I want this to get in your spirit. Young people, if there is anybody that is trying to create isms and schisms and isolate somebody else, can I tell you, you better get away from those people as quick as you can. You want to be around people who encourage people and love and serve and forgive. Listen, I don't need you. The world is doing a really good job of beating us up. I don't need you to kick me while I'm down. I need you to encourage me. This is why Paul said, you who are spiritual, restore one another. That's the problem. We don't know how to pray. We got, we got carnal people, Bishop, not restoring people, but talking about people. You know what? We all going to make mistakes. But can I tell you, instead of talking about somebody when they make a mistake, you know what we ought to do? You need to call them up and encourage them. Say, hey, you know, it ain't over until God says it's over. I still believe God's going to use you greatly. I'm telling you the hand of God is on your life, and I'm praying for you, and I believe in you, and I'll support you. I don't need you to talk about me or kick me while I'm down. I need you to humble yourself like Paul said and consider yourself unless you be drawn away and say, God, it could have been me, but you kept me. God, it could have been me, so I'll humble myself and encourage my brother or my sister. We, we're distracted. There's so much happening in the world today. And we're distracted. We're arguing. I said this before. We're arguing over whether or not black lives matter. You know why? Because we're not praying. Let me just help you out right now. Not only do black lives matter, white lives matter, brown lives matter. Let me go a bit further. Republican lives matter. Democrat lives matter, libertarian lives matter, independent lives matter. I thought I'd get a better response, so I'll keep pushing. Let me take it a step further. Homosexual lives matter, transgender lives matter. Honey, I don't care who they are. Jesus Christ died for them, not you, not me. And I am telling you, every living soul has value. If you're, if you're confused about your gender or your identity, you belong here in the church. If you're struggling or wrestling with sexual preferences, you belong in the church. If you, I'm telling you, everybody belongs here in the church. We are here for everybody. This isn't a country club. This is the church of the living God. Everybody belongs. Everybody is welcome. Everybody needs to be here. It ought to grieve us. It ought to grieve us when we look around and everybody looks the same. I'm not talking about race. I'm talking about everybody looking like they've been insane for 50 years. We ought to have people who can't put two pennies together and can't figure it out, stumbling and bumbling and trying to figure it out. You know why? Because that's who we're here for. We're here for them. We're here for them. This is not about us. This is not about us. And the reality of it is, if we would just learn to be real, we got, we no longer have Pentecostals. We have what I call Plasticostals. Because we're good at being fake. So Brother Howe, Brother Howe got me all fired up this afternoon. It's his fault. Let me look at the clock. Make sure I'm so I'm like, you know what? 
We need to be authentic. We need to be willing to be vulnerable. You know what? This is why the Pharisees, this is why, listen. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you something. You look at, you study the Old Testament. Remember the Old Testament prophets? And they have this battle on Mount Carmel. And the prophet's like, okay, you all are the real deal? Let's find out. So you, you know what they're doing? They just, oh, Baal, please answer us. And they cutting up and they cutting themselves and they acting up and performing and dancing and doing all that stuff. And the prophet's just like, well, y'all done yet? He's like, where is your God? Is he asleep? I don't understand. He's, he's mocking them. And here they are performing. Can I tell you, Baal worship is performance. Okay, so I know, fo follow me for a moment because all the prophet did was, the scripture says he simply prayed and the Lord showed up. Now watch this. You don't see Baal in the New Testament, right? But you see it manifested differently because performance is acting. It's hypocrites. This is what an actor was called in the Greek, a hypocrite. Literally, Jesus has such a strong disdain for this because they are phony. So that spirit, that attitude of performance has invaded this religious world. And if you're not careful, you'll be more fake than you will authentic. So you get comfortable. And you know what? I know we talk. We can talk about revival and we can have all the rhetoric of revival, but we don't know how to live out revival. We don't see true, authentic transformation on the inside. And I got to hurry. Let me, you know what? You know why some of us, our world is in such chaos? Because we don't have inner order. You'll never have inner order until you learn how to be authentic with yourself. I'm, and what I'm talking about is you won't be able to have inner order until you're willing to confront some things. You can't change what you're unwilling to confront. And you can't tell me that walking with Jesus Christ allows you to remain the same. Every day we should be experiencing this radical transformation. This is why Paul is like, I wasn't rehabilitated. I wasn't re-educated. I wasn't reformed. I was recreated. God did something so transformational in my life, I'm unrecognizable to my past. What God is doing in our lives should make us unrecognizable to the world. Because he's transforming us. He's re-engineering us. He's recreating the way I think and the way I live and the way I serve and the way I give who I am and what I do. He's changing my world upside down. But a Pharisee will walk around. I thank God I'm not like that man. A Pharisee will say, I'm fasting and I'll put makeup on my face and let everybody know that I'm fasting. The only time I pray is when I pray in public. That's why he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisee. We have to be willing to let God do something on the inside of us, turning our world upside down. And the way that happens, and this is where it gets tough, is when we get an altar. Nobody wants to talk about an altar. Because an altar is where the rubber meets the road. This is where real Christianity takes place. Because you and I cannot do something for Jesus Christ without an altar in our life. 
I'm going to say that one more time. You and I can't do something for Jesus Christ without an altar in our life. Can I just tell you, every real step of spiritual advancement is because somebody has an altar in their life. And if you are going to see his kingdom come in your life, it is because you have purpose in your personal life to have less of yourself and more of him. I know, I know you're not going to shout about this, and I know right now, ain't nobody, ain't nobody going to get up and run and take a bite out of the ceiling. But we like to talk about, oh, you know what? For every new level, there is a new devil. The only devil that's preventing you from going to that next quote-unquote level is you. Something called the flesh. Something called carnal thinking. The only thing that is going to get in the way of God doing something tremendous in your life, it's called flesh. And we better learn to get that under our feet. And the only way that happens is when we get an altar. I'm trying to tell you, you might not have 5,000 friends on Facebook, but if you have an altar, you'll be all right. You might not have your boo, and you might not have your bay, but I'm telling you, if you have an altar, you're going to be all right. You might not get the car, or you might not get accepted into the college of your dreams, but if you have an altar, you're going to be all right. I'm trying to tell somebody, it is an altar that will keep you. It is an altar that will sustain you. And in the midnight hour, you can wrestle with God and say, God, not my will, but your will be done in my life. We got to have an altar. We got to have an altar. Can I just tell you, listen, God can't use us. Until we're willing to become nothing. We got to be willing to empty ourselves. We got to be willing to die. Can I just tell you right now? This is why. This is why. You know what? This is why God gives us convictions. Because convictions protect your possibilities. And I want you to let this settle in for a moment. Because... The reason why God gives us these idiosyncratic convictions is because a conviction is like this. My, my pastor, Doug White, he will not put anything on his Bible, on top of his Bible. That's his conviction. Now, uh, he didn't want anything to have preeminence over the word of God in his life. Now, if I do this, am I sinning? No. Obviously not. Why? Bishop White has a conviction. The conviction is idiosyncratic. It is something that God has for him. So you know what? This is why you can't compare yourself to somebody else. Paul said in doing so, you are unwise. So listen, but let me just say this. God is dealing with some of you. Some of you are wondering, well, I don't understand why so-and-so has a Snapchat. But God, you're kind of dealing with me about not having Snapchat. It's because God understands if you will just shut the door. I'm telling you, he's protecting your possibilities. So what we need to understand is, well, I don't understand why so-and-so can go on a date with a group of folks, but you know what? I can't. I'm telling you, you need to quit worrying about what everybody else is doing and say, God, I'll do what you want me to do. God is giving you these. 
these convictions to protect you. And if you'll take what God is doing in your life seriously and understand it's a work of holiness, you will say, God, I'm willing to abandon everything to protect the call, to protect the potential, to protect the possibilities. If I have to get rid of Instagram, bye-bye. If I got to get rid of Snapchat, I'm done. If I got to let go of all the social media, if I don't need a phone, I will put it down on the altar and say, God, do a work in my life. If, God, you're dealing with me about a relationship that I ought not be in, then you know what? I'll get out of that relationship. I know what not saying you're not old enough to know what love is. I'm not that naive nor arrogant. I believe you can get your mind around what love is. The question is, are you giving away pieces of your heart that belong to him? And if you are, perhaps God is telling you, get out of that relationship. It's taking you away from me. It's taking away from what I'm trying to do in your life. And if that's the case, you better be willing to lay that down. And as you're willing to lay that down, you'll see God do something extraordinary in your life. What I'm telling you is the altar is messy. Listen, I am the worst germaphobe. I'm going to shake everybody's hand. And when I get done, I'm like, where the hands at? Let me go. Let me see the hands at. I'm like, Pastor Romine, you and the Holy Ghost. I came in. I saw all these hand sanitizer dispensers. See, I came to the church in Clearwater. They tease me. They're like, the first thing you did, Pastor Akil, you installed all these hand signs. I said, yes, I did. Because I'm like, if we have, I'm running to the bathroom every two minutes after I shake hands because I don't know where your hands have been. Praise God. Laid hands on your head the whole nine. And I'm like, yes, let me go to the bathroom. I was glad when they said it to me. Let me go wash my hands. But an altar, my wife teases me because when people's lives are being changed at the altar, an altar is a place where it's messy. Ain't nothing cute about the altar. See, you can't be cute and let God get a hold of your life. You can't be like, oh, God. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I mean, you can't get up there and say, well, oh, that was good. My life has changed. Girl, the Lord turned my world upside down. And you walk out, your hair look like you just came out the hair salon. Praise God. No, 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 no. You can't, uh-uh. See, when you get a hold of God in the altar, I'm talking about tears will be flowing down your face, bobby pins flying out your hair, you done broke a heel and you could care less. I'm talking, you know, I've seen people, my wife, I, people got snot dangling down, and she's like, I just go right up and grab some tissue and just boom, just grab it and keep on. I'm like, she's like, how do you do it? Because the altar is what transforms somebody's life. An altar that isn't that isn't cute and an altar that isn't pretty. An altar where it's messy and it costs me something is where transformation takes place. And I'm trying to tell somebody God is calling us to turn our world upside down. And if he's calling us to do that, it will cost you some snot. It will cost you some tears. It will cost you some heartache. It will cost you to get out of a relationship. But when your world is upside down, it is right side up and God can use somebody like that do i have anybody that's willing to say god 
Turn my world upside down. Lead me and guide me. Strengthen me. Instruct me. And I'll do what you want me to do. I'll... That's it. That's it. The altar, the altar, the altar, the altar, the altar. The altar. Here's where we actually think that altars are cute. And you know, it's interesting how we can be, be seated for just a moment. And I'm done. I feel this. Somehow we, we domesticate scripture. Scripture, when you look at altars, you look at the beginning, Adam and Eve, they sin. We like to thank the Lord. Just took an animal. You know, Adam and Eve messed up. I'm just going to do this out of their sight. They're not going to see it. I'm going to skin this animal and take it down to Macy's or Nordstrom's Rack and put on a nice little three-button leather coat, and they'll be covered up. That animal was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That animal was slaughtered in front of their very eyes. And when he put that skin on them, they felt the blood running down. That warm blood running down because it ain't nothing but blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And so here's where we get messed up. We actually think, this is how I know we're drinking our own Kool-Aid. Like, we'll be doing something, and we'll be like, man, dude, you know what? I'm running after God. I get it. That song, theologically, maybe might be a bit inaccurate, uh, unless they want to say, well, I'm pursuing, I'm pressing. But here's the thing. Scripture is clear. No man can come after God unless he draws. You and I can't even repent on our own. I know you're thinking, oh, I'm feeling guilty right now. I got to get out of this relationship. Child, you ain't feeling guilty. That's the goodness of God that brings us to a place of repentance. The only reason why you're thinking about turning things over to the Lord is because of his goodness. God is drawing us. He's pulling on us. And can I tell you, God is trying to get you up out of status quo, routine Christianity, mediocre living, and that's his goodness. That is pulling you away from standards that say, you know what? Oh, can I just say this too? Man's standard might be excellent, and you might be doing a good thing, but God's standard is obedience. Don't put good over God. Just get God and be done, or get God and be good. Anyway, this altar, this altar cost us, and here's the reality of it. When things get tough, what are you going to do? Things got tough for Abram. So you know what you know what Abram did? There was a famine, right? And this famine, you, she is absolutely so adorable. These babies, oh my gosh. <sighs> they distracted me for a moment, praise God. Reminded me of Mia when she was just so tiny. I thought, oh, Mia's so sweet. She's still daddy's baby. So things got tough. Guess what? The world we're living in, it's tough. And what are you going to do when things get tough? See, Abram did... What oftentimes we do, we go back to what we know. When he was called out of Ur, it was notorious for idolatry. What do you think Egypt was known for? It's idolatry. So when this famine strikes, what does Abram do? The Bible says he goes down 
into Egypt. This is why you have to be careful what happens in your life when things get tough. Because Abram didn't realize it, but he was sacrificing and compromising everybody that was close to him. The very love of his life, he somehow convinced her to say, I'm willing to put you aside and give you to another. Think about that for a moment. I, can I tell you, when you decide to go down into Egypt, when you decide to go back to what God has called you out of, and I'm thankful God has called us out of some things, but when you decide to go back, can I tell you, it impacts and influences those that you are connected to. And here this man is compromising the very woman that he claimed he would lay his life down for. Now he's willing to sacrifice her. All because he decided to go down. This is what happens when you get rid of your convictions. All of a sudden you have no standards. And when you have no standards, you have nothing to protect you. And you are vulnerable and weak to the enemy coming in and turning your world So, Abram finally comes to a census. Not really, because it was Pharaoh. Again, the goodness of God. Like, Pharaoh's like, what are you doing? He's like, you got to get out of here, man. I want you to take all this stuff and go. And so, you know what? When the Bible says he goes up out of Egypt, the Bible says he goes back to the place where he built his first altar. Some of us, and I feel this, you guys can begin to play something Something slow. As a matter of fact, why don't we all stand? Bible says he goes up out of Egypt and he builds this altar back at the beginning. Can I tell you, God is calling us to back to some things. I get it's tough. I get it's hard. And we make mistakes. And can I tell you, nobody's judging you. Let me just say this. Young people, adults, we're all going to make mistakes. But the church should make, allow love to make the way in easy and the way out hard. In other words, we don't judge and beat people up. We don't want them to feel like they are only safe in the world when they make a mistake. We want them to know they're safe here at an altar. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful in our pursuit of becoming more like him day in and day out, what we will pick up are some things that we don't realize will impact us down the road. Abram thought he was done with Egypt until later he gets into the promise or the promise, the progressive revelation of this promise and what God is doing. And I'm going to give you a seed and I'm going to have a son and blah, blah, blah. They get a really good idea. Not. They again decide. Remember, we were in Egypt. And we brought some things with us from Egypt. One of them, Hagar. Why don't you go spend some time with Hagar? And to this very day, 
to this very day because somebody had not annihilated everything at an altar. I'm not here to beat Abram up. He's the father of the faith. Shows you that we don't have to be perfect. But what I am calling is a challenge for us to examine our own lives and to say, you know what? Tonight, if my world is going to be upside down, tonight I'm going to pray a little more than I normally do. Tonight I'm going to intentionally try to humble myself. Tonight I'm going to pray beyond not feeling anything. Tonight I'm going to maybe lift my hands. I've never lifted my hands before. Perhaps somebody else has been thinking about being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you've never done that before. But you think, you know what, I'm going to do that tonight. Perhaps somebody else is thinking, you know what, I need to get somebody out of my life. Or I need to get the right people into my life. Maybe somebody else is thinking, you know what, I'm going to talk to my youth pastor or my pastor. Or perhaps I'm going to go to somebody else and say, you know what, man, I gave you a hard time. I'm really sorry about that. I'm sorry. I love you. You're my brother or my sister, and I need you. But whatever you do tonight, if our world is going to be turned upside down, someone has got to die. Something has to die. Perhaps it's a place, but it has to die here at an altar tonight. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I will not try to emotionally, not that I could, I will not try to emotionally manipulate you into a response. Tonight, the Spirit of the Lord is calling those who want to lay something at an altar. And not just lay it at an altar, but kill it at an altar. Not pick it back up. Tonight's altar is <laughs> going to call somebody something. But I tell you what, God's going to give you a name change like he did with Abram. He went from Abram to Abraham. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong right now. I feel a prophetic unction. God is fixing to do a name change in somebody's life. I'm telling you, you're about to leave this place and have favor, not only with God, but with man, because you're willing to lay some things down at an altar. God, I feel it in the Holy Ghost. God is calling some people to prayer right now, too. I'm telling you right now, I feel ministry laying dormant that's getting ready to be revealed in you because you're going to lay some things down at an altar. Do I have any young people? Do I have any adults? As a matter of fact, from the, from the top to the bottom, from the back to the front, from side to side, we need to make this place a house of prayer.